Awesome. Good morning. My name is Matt. If you weren't here last week, uh, my family and I have been living in Asia for the last few years, working with an organization there planning churches on college campuses. And uh, I've actually loved coming to visit with you guys last Sunday and this Sunday. I mentioned last week I tried to make some slides. I don't have a lot of them, but I wanted to at least show my family. Uh, this is my wife, Grace, and our two kids, Evie and Hazel. They say good morning from New York today. Um, I don't think they're watching live, but they might watch later. And they want to say good morning and thank you for standing with us as we're over in Asia. And I just have a quick couple pictures of our time. Uh, this is my friend, uh, Jimmy. I might mention him later on this morning. Uh, if you see some young adults here, this is a short-term trip that we're hosting. They were over there for about six months working on college campuses with us, and we're just hosting their weekly prayer meeting. Uh, this it might be hard to see uh, here, but this is my friend John. He's actually sharing the gospel in Mandarin in this picture. Um, we had a Christmas party, and we had about 20 or 30 people stuffed into one living room, and he shared the gospel and why we celebrate Christmas. And that night, a young man named Chen uh, joined the family. And this is just my, my wife with her uh, language teacher and a classmate. And so I just want to give a couple pictures of our time and again say thank you for standing with us. Uh, if you were here last week, or if you weren't, we talked about discipleship in Luke 14. And what I was trying to communicate was that Jesus calls us to saltiness and salty discipleship. It was this idea of when Jesus has first place in our hearts, um, and when, when we love him, I'm going to turn on a timer so I don't overdo it this morning. When we love him first and he has preeminence in our lives, and when he has our will, and we're willing to carry our cross and follow him no matter what. And when we approach Jesus as a great endeavor, and when we're not closed-fisted with resources, but we're more open-handed with the way he's blessed us, that, that is marks of saltiness in our discipleship. But when Jesus doesn't have first place, and other things, other relationships, maybe our job or hobbies or sin or even whatever, has that throne of our hearts, and we're not willing to carry a cross for him, and we treat him casually like he's not the greatest endeavor of our lives. And we're closed-fisted with the things he's blessed us with. That's when our, our discipleship gets to be compromised and our salt becomes unsalty. And we talked about how Jesus believes he's actually worthy of saltiness because he is. He's Lord of all. And so we talked about that last week. And I'm glad we did because this week we're going to be talking about missions. And missions build on top of discipleship. If you think about it just logically, why would we get together and talk about missions if Jesus doesn't have our heart? Why would we talk about, how would we talk about missions if he doesn't have our will? It would be just an exercise of futility, right? It would be meaningless. And so, now that we see Jesus as worthy of all, as we approach missions, things just sort of fall into place and we can talk about walking it out. And I do have a small disclaimer there's a thousand ways we could talk about missions in this world because the world needs a lot of help. Right? From clean drinking water to food, medical care, shelter. I mean, it goes on. Um, the passage we're looking at today is more specific. It is one of those situations where we're talking about missions in the sense of like an evangelistic sense. People who don't know Christ coming to know Christ. And so it's not the only way we can live missionally. But this morning is what I'm going to be speaking about, okay? So that's just a disclaimer. 
Uh, if you're interested in other ways to look at things missionally, Pastor Ryan, you can go to the, the websites on Facebook or your podcast. During his Dry Bones series, he talked about living missionally, and it was really good. Uh, this morning, I actually want to talk, start in Romans chapter 8. And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, or if you're not, up to this 8th chapter, Paul really lays an airtight argument for our sin, our brokenness, and I mean, he goes all out, the sin in our mouths, and the words we speak, in our minds, in our hearts, in our motives, it's, it's, we're, like, it's, we're a mess, right? And then he talks about how God has taken it upon himself to reconcile us to him. And how he gave us his son Jesus to die and rise again from the, the grave on our behalf so that faith in Christ makes us right with God. It's an incredible book, but by the time we get to Romans chapter 8, uh, we are at a crescendo. It starts with these words, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm, I'm not going to work through the entire chapter, but just as a glance, is, has anyone here ever read Romans 8 before? I'm going to assume many of you have. Would you, would you agree at least that it's like a crescendo of, of a type when we're looking at all the blessings we have in Christ? I mean, three chapters before this, Paul is laying out our need and how really we have no hope and how we're broken. And now he's saying that when we stand before God, there's no condemnation. In this chapter, he says we haven't received a spirit of fear. We have a spirit of sonship. And he uses this term, Abba, Father. It's one of the only two places he uses it where it speaks about our close relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's in this chapter that Paul says that God will use all things together for our good and that God is committed to make us more like Christ. It's in this chapter where he got, uh, Paul argues, if God didn't spare his son, how would he not graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's an incredible crescendo. This isn't much of a slide, but this is my next slide. It literally just points to the fact that when we are in Romans 8, Paul is just describing the riches of God's grace in our lives. And that's actually an important part of living missionally. Recognizing everything we have in Christ is really the first step of missions. And I mean it like this. Look at, look at what happens at the end of Romans 8. The very last lines. Talk about crescendo. It, it, it's incredible. There's not many passages quite like this. The last verses in, in verse 38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Okay. I'm not there quite yet. I might just... Okay. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Talk about crescendo. Paul's up here saying, like just a few chapters earlier, we were hopeless. And now we can't be separated from the love of God. It's incredible. And for a long time in my life, that's where I stopped my reading. But the very next verse in Romans chapter 9 is this. 
I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. I want to call attention this morning to what just happened. We literally, the verse before this, Paul is saying we cannot be separated from the love of God. If there, I mean, if there's ever a passage of scripture that should elicit like praise and worship and the goodness of God and really joy, it would be this. And Paul's writing it. He's the one that from prison talks about rejoicing always. Right? He sings hymns when he's locked up. And so you'd think that this, when he's up here talking about us not being separated from the love of God, we'd start talking about joy, but that doesn't happen. The next verse is this. He doesn't say he has uh, a little sorrow. He doesn't say he has sorrow. If he went from talking about how we couldn't be separated from the love of God and then started talking about sorrow, it would be weird. But he says he has great sorrow. And he doesn't stop there. He says he has anguish. And he doesn't say he has it every once in a while. He says it's unceasing. That's weird. And what's weirder, thank you Caleb for a laser this morning. So look how he starts this phrase. He says, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I speak the truth. I'm not lying. When you, when you hear that phrase, what do you think of? I speak the truth, I'm not lying. I think of a phrase that I used to hear, uh, <laughs> it was where I worked. We called it the Department of Redundancy Department. It was just like, this is redundant. He's speaking the truth and he's not lying. But it's like, he's underlining, he's circling, he's drawing arrows to what he's about to say. Because he's speaking the truth, he's not lying. And then the third way he says is, my conscience bears witness. And then he brings God into this, with the Holy Spirit. And so four ways he's telling us what I'm about to say needs to be taken seriously. I'm being honest. I'm being very real. And that's when he says he has great anguish. Not a little. An unceasing sorrow or unceasing anguish and great sorrow. He means it. And as we talk about missions, I just want to say, missions starts with us, kind of like in Romans 8, embracing everything we have in Christ, and then pivoting toward people who don't have Christ. Because we see that why Paul is upset here, is his people. And he goes on to talk about the people who don't believe in Christ yet. And all we see is Paul talking about how we're not separated from the love of God and how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and how God will use everything together for our good and how we will not be separated from his love. And then he pivots to people who can't really say the same. And step one of missions is to consider people who can't say the same as us. I know that's simple. I know we know it. But allowing it to change us. And Paul is feeling this. I mean, in the next verse, he broaches the subject of actually trading places with the lost. It is the strongest language I know of in the New Testament, when considering having a heart for people who don't know God. That's my opinion. But 
four or five times, he's saying he has unceasing anguish and great sorrow. And then he talks about trading the places with people. It's, it's pretty radical. And there's a story that makes me think of uh, that Paul would have been familiar with. It's in 2 Kings 6 and 7. The king of Aram, uh, Ben-Hadad or something like that, is laying siege to Samaria. And people within this city are running out of food. And it's a horrible situation. Like, people are starting to starve. Like, donkey heads are going for 70 pieces of silver, and they actually, uh, there's verses about cannibalism. It's a mess. It's a horrible wartime story. They're, being, they're, they're under siege. And the story is about these four lepers outside of the city gates. And the lepers say to themselves, they also have no food. And they, they've probably been dependent on other people for a long time. And they say to themselves, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go in the city, we're going to die. They can't help us because they can't help themselves. If we stay here, we die. If we go in there, we die. If we go to the enemy, they might kill us. They might take our lives. But maybe, just maybe, they'll have mercy on us. <laughs> so they go to the enemy's camp. And what they didn't realize was in the middle of the night, God had worked this incredible miracle of victory on his people's behalf. And, and the soldiers had heard the sound of chariots, and they thought the Egyptians had been hired to help for combat, and they flee. But everything in the camp is as is. And so these four lepers stagger into a tent, and there's food, and there's water. And there's clothes and silver. And the Bible actually says they, they go into the tent and they eat and they drink and they take some of these clothes and silver and they go somewhere and they hide it and they bury it for later. And then they go into another tent. And if you can imagine these four lepers and the provision that's in front of them that was only wrought by God's miraculous grace, they could spend the rest of their lives going tent to tent. It's more than they could ever use. And then one leper says to the other, it's in 2 Kings 7, what we're doing is not good. Today should be a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. What we're doing is not good. Today should be a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. And so this leper, as he sees the sea and the vastness of God's goodness, still looks back at those people who are under siege, who are locked up and unaware of God's miracle, like, victory that he worked on their behalf. In the same way, I see Paul in Romans 8 just talking about everything we have in Christ, and then he pauses and he looks at his people who didn't believe in Jesus. And he's hurting for them. Does that make sense? And so I know it's simple, it's not nothing new, but it is something true that missions actually starts with us allowing God to bother us with people who need help. Allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable is the first step. In Romans chapter 10, <laughs> actually, if I could share a story. Uh, I'm going to do it. Okay, last week I saw my friend Dami. She's from New York City. She serves in Asia with us. And I, I showed you a picture of a, a Christmas party we had. She had a Thanksgiving Day party. It was like sometimes you just look for our reasons to have people over. And so she has this party, a Thanksgiving Day party, and people start coming, and there's a girl she doesn't know. And she starts talking, and they hit it off. And at some point that night, Dami actually gets to share her faith. 
after that night, she doesn't talk to the girl and they get separated or something. A couple weeks pass and the girl reaches out and asks if they could get together for dinner. She starts telling Dami her story and how, I, I hope I don't cry. I'm a crier. Okay, so that might happen today. She starts telling Dami her story of when she was growing up. I don't know if she was uh, physically abused or sexually abused, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good situation. And at a young age, she was very depressed. And by the time she's a teenager, she's starting to struggle with suicidal thoughts. And early on, she actually gets to a place where she makes a vow that by the time she's 22, if nothing changes, she's just going to end her life. Because it's, she doesn't like waking up like this. And then she tells Dami over dinner, with a smile on my, her face, she's like, Dami, you shared your story about Jesus with me. I've decided to follow Jesus, and I believe in him. And today's my 22nd birthday, and I just want to say thank you. Everything's changed. And I know we don't encounter people who are like those in Samaria who are locked in a city, but people all around us are going through things. It's literally all around us. As I was writing up these notes and I thought about Dami, I walked home from the office I work at a missions organization 300 yards away from my house, my apartment. So there's a missions organization, there's a big church, and then there's a Bible school with cheap rent, and that's where I live. And so my 300-yard commute is from a missions organization, church parking lot, Bible school campus. Okay, the town's called Lima. Sometimes I joke around and I call it Lima Jerusalem because it's just like a big church. On that 300-yard commute, I was just thinking about Dami's story with this girl, and I walk by this kid, and something just starts touching my heart, like I need to start talking to him. And I was like, he's probably on staff at the church for all I know. He's on a Bible school campus. He might be an RA here. But I reach out and I start talking. I, have, I don't know if I've ever seen spiritual hunger and brokenness in somebody's life like that. He had never heard the gospel, and he was in Lima, Jerusalem. He's been living in upstate, and, and he's been working in downtown Rochester. In the last year, he's seen four people gunned down in front of him while he's building apartments. He's seen other people keel over on heroin and just die in front of him. He's about to go to jail for something, and uh, he doesn't want to take his life because he has a kid. Um, sorry if this was a little too intense. Um, but he was really broken. And getting to speak to him about the goodness of God, he had never heard anything like that before in his life. And we encounter people like that all the time. But we'll never know unless we start actually uh, speaking with them. The next thing I want to point out is that in Romans chapter 10, Paul continues to reveal his heart uh, really for missions and for certain people. And it starts here. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Maybe you, you've heard other missions uh, sermons before and they talk about this term, pray, give, go. And they talk about how prayer is an important part of missions. And it really is. Because we see that Paul doesn't just consider the lost. He's here, he's cultivated a desire that they know God. And he's cultivated a life where he prays for them. 
And prayer changes everything. Prayer is one thing in our lives that cannot be restricted by where we are. Right now, I work with an organization that cannot get into the country that we serve in because the borders are closed in COVID and whatnot. But I can still be powerful and effective by praying. I, I found this quote I want to share. It's by uh, Stefan uh, Gokroger. Prayer needs no passport. It needs no visa or work permit. There's no such thing as a closed country as far as prayer is concerned. Much of the history of mission could be written in terms of God moving in response to persistent prayer. I was reading some excerpts from Jim Elliott's diary the other day. And he was writing his diary that he was convinced until we get to heaven, we will not understand how powerful the prayers of the church are when we talk about missions. Someone once said that history belongs to the intercessors, and I absolutely believe it. And um, I actually want to offer you guys an action point of something that you can be praying about. I'm going to start with this. It's a reminder to us that we are powerful. Not because of us, but because of him. Max Max Licato wrote, Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, and not the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Our prayers may be awkward and our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and then not in the one who says it, our prayers make a difference. With that in mind, like I, just as a reminder that whatever it looks like, if you just have to set a timer on your phone for 60 seconds and pray, it changes things and it helps. And I want to give actually an action step because we could use some prayer for a couple things in Campus Target. There's not a lot of people who know this, and uh, I might be a little vague because this is going online, but every year we have disciples around the nation we serve in, and they come together, and they, they try to live missionally throughout the year and try to share the gospel and things, but once a year they come together from different cities, and they go somewhere that's hard to reach, like hard to reach, like They'll climb a mountain and go to a village that nobody's ever been to before to share the gospel. It's wild what they do. People like foreigners like me and other uh, foreign workers can't get to some of those villages. You get, you get turned around by the government. These people can go anywhere. And once a year they go, and uh, they're about to do this trip right now, in the next 10 to 14 days. Not a lot of people on planet Earth know about it. Not a lot of people are praying about it. But 17 disciples from different areas in our nation are going to hard-to-reach places. And sometimes, like, they, they find people who will, like, give them lodging, and sometimes they sleep outside. And sometimes it's hard, and we wonder, like, what happened? And then sometimes they're, like, baptizing families in rivers. And so we would love your prayers because we obviously want, we want this to be successful. Please pray with us that the team is unified and bold and that God uses them to draw people into his family. And a second thing you could be praying for in the next two weeks is one of those leaders. His father just fell off a third-story building, and he, he landed on his head. And uh, he's, he's fighting for life and quality of life. And if you could be praying for his father in this trip, uh, I, I, I'm optimistic God will hear our prayers and move. Amen? Okay. All right.
So mission starts when we consider everything we have in Jesus and then pivot and consider people who don't have Jesus. And it grows as we cultivate a desire to see them know God and we cultivate a life of prayer. And here, missions really comes full circle when um, we work together and we link arms. And Paul here asks some questions. It's in Romans 10, verse 13. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. These questions are self-explanatory, I think. I don't have to expound on them a lot. How then can they call upon the one in whom they have not believed in? This was right after Paul was talking about anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. At this point, he's not just talking about Israel anymore. He's actually talking about all people groups around the world. And he's saying it's not about work. And it, I had to skip it, but he, he basically he goes back to fundamentals in the book of Romans where the law will say do, but the gospel says trust. And it's this phenomenal thing. It's anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul says, how can they call upon him if they haven't believed in him? It's implied that they won't. And how will they believe in him if they haven't even heard of him? It's implied that they can't. And how will they hear unless there's a preacher and unless they're sent? It's implied this is not going to happen. And like so many times in the book of Romans, Paul takes a problem and he actually pairs it with a solution. Um, what's that verse? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, but the wages of sin is death. But uh, I should, I'm sorry, it's not on my, my tongue, but the free gift of God. He has a problem, he has a solution. He talks about how sin abounds. And then he has a, that's the problem, and then a solution. Grace abounds all the more. Romans 7, Paul is talking about, like, I'm doing the things I know I should not do, and I'm not doing the things that I know are the good things to do, and I see this sin that's dwelling in me, wretched man that I am. There's this problem, and then he gives a solution that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And like so many times in the book of Romans, Paul gives a problem and then he actually pairs it with the solution. And this is one of those cases. How is this going to happen if they don't have, how can they call upon him if they've never heard of him? And then he pairs it with a solution. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But there's this idea that it comes by linking arms and working together because he talks about people being sent out. Right before COVID happened, one of my last memories was sitting with that kid, Jimmy, I showed you a picture of in the beginning of uh, service. He was sitting on my floor in the living room, and he had never held a Bible in his hands before. Like, I remember him, like, like it, was, it was so new, just holding it. It was just brand new. He's like, I've never, I've never read a Bible before. He had never met a Christian, uh, a Chinese Christian before. He had never heard the gospel before. I don't even remember what we looked at that night in the Bible. But I do remember when he got home, God was working in him. Somehow he got through the firewall and he started reading the Gospel of Luke. And that night he stayed up, he read the entire Gospel of Luke. And the next time I saw Jimmy, he said, Matt, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But I don't know if I can become Christian. I've never met a Chinese Christian before. I don't know what that would look like. It's 
wild that he thought he might be the first Chinese Christian. I tried to obviously tell him that he's not the first Chinese Christian, but he had never seen this, and so it was just, he had no way to process it. And uh, the next week, my friend was having a birthday party, and all she was doing was having delicious uh, like Chinese food coming over, and then they were just going to worship God together. And I knew everyone there was a Chinese believer except my friend and, and me. So I bring Jimmy, and uh, after dinner, as we're about to start worship, my friend has everyone in a circle, because she knew not everybody knew each other, and she said, hey, icebreaker, just say your name, your university, and a quick story how you, how you heard about Jesus. And I will never forget that day, as long as I live. What a privilege. We, for 20 minutes, work around this circle, as person after person after person was telling their story of how they grew up believing there was no God and then hearing this incredible story of how God gave his son for them and how everything was, had changed. And I'm listening to story after story after story as like joy is like beaming off of their face. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is incredible. I've never had an experience like this before in my life. And then also in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can almost feel Jimmy's world turn right side up right now. Like, it was almost like he was waiting to breathe. He was just hanging on every single word. And all the stories were different. But everybody in that circle had someone who shared with them. And they heard the message. And they called on Jesus' name. And Jesus changed their life. He changed, some of their families are changed. Their future, their eternities will be different. And this is how it works. And Jimmy hadn't heard the gospel before. And before that, before I met Jimmy, I was here. I just met Pastor Keith. Keith allowed me to meet Pastor Ryan. I met some families and individuals in this church. And you guys helped send us. And then Jimmy heard and believed in other people. This is how it happens. And so, mission starts when we consider everything we have with Jesus, and then we pivot and consider people who don't have, who really can't say the same, that are still stuck in that hopelessness. And missions continues as we cultivate a desire to see them know God, and a a life that prays for them, and it really comes full circle when we work together to reach hard-to-reach places. Does that make sense? I know there's nothing new that I said this morning. I wasn't trying to say something new. Sometimes we just need to be reminded about what's true, right? Okay. I'm going to end here. I know that there are unreached people groups all around the world that need to know Jesus, but I want to make this applicable for this room. Like I told you the story of that guy, Ed, at Bible school, like on the campus, who had never heard the gospel. There are coworkers. I was that coworker that used to argue with you. I was the coworker that used to make fun of Christians. I was a coworker that thought all Christians were closed-minded. Like I was that guy. And they kept reaching out to me and loving on me and sharing their faith. And I'm not making fun of them anymore. And I just want to make this applicable because I know that there there is a sense of I want to reach the world and this church is sending out workers all over the place and we need to work together. We need to cultivate desire to see people know God. We need to pray, right? But I also just want us to pause and say, God, 
if the first step is letting me be bothered, let me be bothered for my family that doesn't know you. Let me be bothered for my coworkers or my neighbors. Let me be bothered. Have my will. Help me step out with people. Or for people. Does that make sense? I'm going to say a prayer and then give it over to Pastor Keith again. God, your word says um, in Psalm 51, David prays, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And then I'll, treat, I'll teach transgressors your ways. And Father, that's what my prayer is right now. Father, that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with a willing spirit. So as we consider people who don't have that same joy of your salvation, we can share Christ with them. God, help us get over the fear of man. Help us work together. Help us cultivate a life of prayer and desire to see people know you. And we love you, Father. Help us live missionally for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.